Pastor Ed Taylor says, be careful who you hang around with. The Bible doesn't advocate that we unplug from the world and we leave all our unbelieving friends and, and, and just abandon them. But the Bible does begin to speak to us to walk in wisdom and be careful. There's just some things you can't do anymore. You have to wake up. It's righteousness. You just can't do that anymore. Oh, but Ed, I, no, you can't do that anymore. Don't, do not sin. Because evil company will corrupt good habits. The path of evil company has taken down its fair share of strong, on fire, sold out believers. It's true. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Christianity as a whole hangs on one important event, the resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection, every claim that Jesus ever made is immediately called into question. The good news is, it's true. The resurrection actually happened. And here's something else to consider. Our resurrection is as sure as Jesus' resurrection. And we're going to look into this on Abounding Grace. Join us now in 1 Corinthians 15 as we examine what the Apostle Paul has to say on the matter. Here is Pastor Ed Taylor. The resurrection is the central part of the gospel. We've learned that as we looked at 1 Corinthians 15. As a matter of fact, I'd say this. Anytime the gospel is preached without declaring the resurrection of Jesus, that he's alive right now, that he's no longer in the tomb, that even though they sealed it with wax and with Roman soldiers on rotation, he still rose again and moved the stone, confounded the people. Anytime someone would want to give you a message that they call the gospel, the good news, and they fail to include the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I dare say it is not the gospel. The resurrection is central to the gospel of Jesus. That Jesus is alive, drawing people to himself even now. Listen to this in Romans chapter 10. The Bible says, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The hope of every believer is the resurrection of life. It's so important that you grasp this because everything in our society wants to anchor you down to today. All the marketing schemes, all the money-making opportunities, all the toys, the trinkets. Doesn't it amaze you that there are only certain toys and trinkets that you're attracted to? Some of you are real techie type of people. So the latest, greatest gadget gets your attention. But cars, you don't care about cars. You drive a clunker, man. Your phone costs more than your car. <laughs> That's just how you are. You, you're just into that stuff. But some of you, 
are into cars, man, or trucks, or anything with four, six, eight, whatever wheels, that's what you're into. And the shiny new paint job and what size engine it is and how many, you know, stick shifts and you know, gears and oil and all, you're all into that. And you have this, this like cell phone from the 1980s. Because you don't care. You don't care, you, computers, you don't, you don't care about computers. You, you do everything on paper. He's just like, pull out, hey, uh, yeah, let me write that down. And you pull out a pad from your back. That's, that's not, but see, just because one thing is attractive to you and something else isn't, doesn't mean that you don't fight being anchored in this world. There are things that are attractive to you that anchor you in this world and deceive you and me into thinking that the end of life is this world. So that when I mention the resurrection right now, and that is the hope of life forever in a new body promised by Jesus himself, modeled by Jesus, that statement, for some of you, you're just like, what are we talking about the resurrection for? I've got bills to pay. I've got issues in my marriage. I've got situations going on in my mind. The resurrection's not important to me. And it could just be that because the resurrection's not important to you, all of these things are overwhelming you because you have no hope beyond what you're going through right now. Now, you do have the hope as believers. You're just not living in it. You're not accessing it. The things of this world are bearing down upon you, whatever it might be. And because the things of the world are bearing the resurrection, no, no, the resurrection is the central facet of the gospel, that Jesus wasn't stuck in the tomb. His ministry did not end. Jesus being fully God and fully man, eternal, he rose again. Paul's reminding this messed up church in Corinth about the resurrection. They had missed it. It was part of, I believe, why things got so bad there. They left essential doctrine. They left things that were important. They got into things that were non-important. And they got into these squabbles and they started raising up, well, I'm of Paul and I'm of, I'm of Jesus and I'm of Peter and I'm a, and they were building up all of these types of, of divisions and they were taking advantage of one another. They were suing one another. They were in rampant sexual sin. The church was going, going through it. The leaders were going through it. And through this letter, Paul's bringing them back to basics like he did, I'm sure, when he first came there and God used him to plant the church. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he felt it very necessary to tell them then and us now how important it is to have your eyes on eternity. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, if you've never memorized it, you need to put it in your heart. Seek first the things of this world. Oh, no, no, that's actually not what it says at all. But I wonder if you and I were to put our, we, we can't do check ledgers anymore. They don't, nobody writes checks anymore. You just, if you gave me access to your online banking account and I was able to sort through your last credit card statement, I wonder what it would be, the conclusion, as I say, well, well, here are the 100 things, and 87 of them are earthly. That's what you've been seeking, what you've been investing. And 90 of them, you don't even have the money for. You're just putting it on credit, and you're buying something today that you're going to owe for tomorrow. And then that, that anchors you, and you begin to see, you know, my life, maybe it is backwards. Maybe I am seeking the things of the earth, when Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So it's not just the kingdom living where God 
has given us Jesus as king and Lord of our lives, but it's also his righteousness, which speaks of the right way to live our lives. And it's something we all have to deal with in our homes, in our own personal lives. It's some, some of you, when you were going through that time of prayer and fasting just a few weeks ago, it's some, that's what God revealed to you. You're just like so caught up in the things of the world, and, and what do you have for it? Where, where is it leading you? What, what kind of substance spiritually is it giving you? And he began to speak to you. And now God's reminding you again, the resurrection, the hope of eternal life. In the first few verses that we looked at last time, Paul lays down the evidences. He doesn't say, well, you know, Jesus uh, rose from the dead and just believe me on it. He says, no, this is the real deal. He's speaking to them and saying, listen, here are the reasons. And by way of review, number one, he says, one of the reasons or one of the evidences that the Jesus rose again is that there's a church in Corinth. There wasn't a church in Corinth before the resurrection of Jesus. There is now. Like, you're here, he tells them. You want to know if Jesus rose again? Look at your life. Such were some of you. How did that happen? The resurrection. Number two, he tells them Jesus rose from the dead because the Old Testament said he would. It was prophesied. It was spoken in advance over and over again that the Messiah would die and rise again. And that's a proof that he fulfilled the Old Testament. The third reason he gave is that Jesus appeared to many after he was resurrected. There were eyewitnesses. People touched him, talked to him, ate with him, hung out with him. Remember he said he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Some of them were still alive. Paul was lying. They could have all 500 of them. He's a liar. He's saying, I saw Jesus. I didn't see Jesus. But no evidence like that ever surfaced, ever. Not even in the writings outside of the scriptures of the history of the day. There aren't groups of people going, that's all a big lie. Now, the religious rulers were doing that. But not the people that Jesus is, has appeared to and those that he's changed their life. He goes, man, I saw him. I was right there with him. And the last evidence that Paul gave was that Paul himself, even though he wasn't a part of the original apostles, he saw the risen Lord himself. Can I add one more that Paul didn't mention, but I'll mention to you? You, believer, are proof of the resurrection. Especially you guys that were really messed up before you got saved. I mean, really. Like, you're a miracle. People look at you and you go, you're going to church? That's that, you're, you're evidence. I'm evidence. Like, what in the world, what would we be doing if Jesus wasn't alive and didn't grab us in the, you know how some of the people you're praying for are so lost? They're just so lost. They don't listen to you anymore. They don't want anything to do with the Bible. You're going to invite them to church because you do every year, and they're going to yell at you this year. They're going to like, stop inviting me. It's like the 30th time, stop inviting. They are so hard. It is, it's, it's beyond our, it's always been beyond our ability, but now you see it, and it's just going to take the Spirit of God to grab them. That was you. How many people God sent your way over and over and over again? People that loved you and cared for you and you blew them off, blew them off, blew them off until finally God apprehended you. You're a proof. A church in Aurora is proof of the resurrection. Calvary Chapel here, this one, wasn't here 12 years ago. This gathering right here in this place wasn't here four years ago. This was a dirt lot. How does, how does a dirt lot become a place of worship? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how. We're not all sitting on the floor with, the, you know, all the weeds and everything around us. God has raised up a place for him to be worshipped in. 
He's gathered a group of people. I mean, some of you drove by this. You, you grew up in Aurora. This was all dirt, all the way to the reservoir and all the way over here. And now you begin to see as houses are popping up, houses are popping up because people need to live. Churches are popping up because Jesus is alive. And you see it working in your own life. Now, pick up with me now in verse 29, because that's where we left off of 1 Corinthians 15. Since we're going to be here till midnight, I'm going long tonight. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> so if you weren't here last time, or you might be new to Calvary, we go through the Bible verse by verse. We've already looked at the first 28 verses of 1 Corinthians 15. You can go online and grab the MP3. You can watch the service. It's archived up there in video. And so you can use all that and you can catch up with us. We're in study number 37. So it's taken us 37 Wednesday nights here to get to this point in chapter 15. And we pick up in verse 29, otherwise. Now he's contrasting. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. And if, any, if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You get the sense at this point in this chapter that Paul has just had enough. He's convinced and he's just had enough. And he's like, okay, let's just get down to it. Let's just talk eye to eye. Let's just talk practical, common sense. As he's winding down his validity, his, his teaching on the validity of the resurrection, it's almost as if he just had enough. Have you ever been there? You just had enough. Uh, if you're in the spirit, you'll be nice about it. If you're not in the spirit, you won't be so nice. And Paul, he's there and he's like, okay, if there's really no resurrection, then why do the pagans do what they do? Even the pagans believe there's some kind of afterlife. And they're baptizing for the dead. How ridiculous. You guys don't even believe in the resurrection. And those unbelievers over there, they believe in a weirdness of life after death. And they're baptizing, over the, you know, they're baptizing people for the people that have died before them. To, they might get a second chance. And Paul says, look at them. You grew up in this city. There are unbelievers all over the city that believe in the resurrection. And you don't? They even go to great lengths to do something that's goofy. By the way, the Bible says that it's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. What that means is there aren't any second chances. So the practice of baptizing from the, for the dead is actually still with us in our society today. The Mormon cult baptizes for the dead because they believe in their false teaching that through that baptism for their loved ones that have gone before, that that baptism will give them another chance to believe in the false teachings of Joseph Smith and have all of the false promises that Joseph Smith promises in his false book, the Book of Mormon. And you can reject it. It's appointed once for a man to die. This is the day to make a decision. Because once you leave earth, there are no second chances. There's no purgatory. There's no place to work it off. There's nothing we can do for you here. Today's the day to believe. You're not going to get another chance. You might not even get another chance while you're breathing. 
I meet people all the time. They'll listen to me and they'll kind of label me, oh, preacher, preacher, go to hell. Yeah, you, you will go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. What do you want me to tell you? It's like, well, you know, there's no hell. I, I don't have it in my Bible. I ripped all those pages out. <laughs> I just skip over the fact that Jesus spoke about hell over and over again, warning us. He says the condemnation doesn't come from God. God actually came to save. The condemnation comes from ourselves by refusing to believe. The Bible speaks of eternity hanging in the balance. And so when you begin to hear the gospel, part of the gospel is also the danger if you don't believe. Because let me just throw it out for you. If you don't want to live for God right now, and you don't care what I'm saying, you don't believe that God sent his son to die for you, and you don't believe, you know, you've taken a class at college. It's amazing what happens in college because every single professor and every single class seems to want to undermine the faith that we've been pouring into our kids. It's amazing. They'll talk about anything and everything but Jesus. And when Jesus is mentioned in our system of education today, especially in our higher levels of education, he's made fun of, he's belittled and he, he's just brought down to something well you know the theory and, and I'm telling you Jesus is not a theory he's a savior of the world and you got to put a guard up of who you believe in the condemnation comes by your own belief or unbelief it doesn't come from some preacher I mean seriously if you were out running into the tracks of one of the light rail, and I'm screaming at you, hey, the light rail's coming, we need to turn around, you don't tell me what to do, bam! You would want somebody to come over, I might even run over and tackle you, throw you out of the way. You go, what are you doing, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, there's a train coming, man. And if you don't get off the tracks, you're done. Well, I just don't think you're the one to tell me to get off the tracks. Well, I did. And I don't really care what you think. Because if I don't tell you, who's going to tell you? You're not surrounding yourself with people that are telling you the truth. You're out on the party scene. You're out doing your thing. You're hanging out. You know, right here, look, look how he combines this. It's amazing. It says, verse 33, don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I mean, your workplace is just hard, isn't it? Just filled with hard stuff, hard people, hard circumstances. And it's not even as if you can... Get outside of that. It's what God's called you to. He wants you there. He wants you to infiltrate that dark part of this life. It's not, it's, it's not the call for everyone to be a pastor. You know, people think, well, you know, my calling is to be a pastor. I don't want to work in the world anymore. I'm just going to go to work at the church because it's like one step below heaven there. <laughs> That's not true. God wants you where you're at. That's your calling. But you also have to walk in wisdom because evil company is going to corrupt good habits. It's true for all of us. He says, awake to righteousness and do not sin. That's your answer. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. This is where they were going. And you need to watch out. I need to watch out for those influences, whether it's just the reality of the workplace that we're in or the types of friends that we hang out with the types of friends that aren't giving us good counsel, the types of friends that are drawing us away from the things of righteousness and the kingdom of God. 
the types of friends that don't have a desire to talk about the things of God, the types of friends that don't desire to sing unto the Lord, the types of friends that when you hang out with them, your initial feeling is like, wow, I really, really need to get back on track. Evil company corrupts good habits. You need to mark that in your life. It's true. Again, the Bible doesn't advocate that we unplug from the world and we leave all our unbelieving friends and, and, and just abandon them. But the Bible does begin to speak to us to walk in wisdom and be careful. There's just some things you can't do anymore. You have to wake up. It's righteousness. You just can't do that anymore. Oh, but Ed, I, no, you can't do that anymore. Don't, do not sin. Because evil company will corrupt good habits. The path of evil company has taken down its fair share of strong, on fire, sold out believers. It's true. You start hanging out with them. You start living in the world that they're in. Because you know how it begins. It begins with, I'll save them. My influence. And you become what the Bible calls unequally yoked. And in that unequally yoked relationship, you're so confident, you're so strong, you're so on fire. But you find that the pull of the world is much stronger than you can even handle. And I've used that illustration before. If, I, if, if I'm represented... The believer strong on fire. And, and I've got an unbeliever here or someone that's weaker and, and I try to pull them up, it's not going to happen. It's going to be strong and powerful. But all they need to do is just, if they have my hands, all they do is just jerk me and I'm done. I'm down. And you exert all that energy and effort when it's really a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that he wants to do. So be careful there. He's, you know, it pulls at the end. He goes, hey, you know, the pagans are even believing in the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, why am I almost dying in Ephesus? Why do I have to die daily? Why is my life, if, if there's no resurrection, if what I believe in is really so wrong, then why have I chosen to live this way? He's trying to shake their false beliefs. Today on Abounding Grace, we brought you a portion of our study in 1 Corinthians. Pastor Ed Taylor is our Bible teacher. Would you like to hear this again? If so, just pay us a visit online at calvaryco.church. You'll find an archive of messages right there. You can also listen through our apps. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. Well, Pastor Ed, it's a new month, and with that, we have a new resource to tell our listeners about. In my hand, Larry, I have this month's pick of the month. It's called Quick Scripture Reference for Counseling quick scripture reference for counseling, and it is a simple handbook that has pages upon pages of topical indexed scriptures that you can use when you're ministering to someone using the Bible. Uh, the, first enter, the first entry is adultery, uh, and the last entry is youth, and everything in between, from worry to trials to self-pity to overcoming sin to prayer. Not only is it a great quick scripture reference for ministering to others, it is a powerful tool for you, and I think you should pick it up. It'd be great if you picked it up through the ministry here and you supported our ministry, but get it anywhere. The author is Cruz, K-R-U-I-S, 
And it says up here, 200,000 copies in print. I use this. I have it on my computer. I have it here in the studio when I'm doing Calvary Live in case I want to look something up. Uh, but it's, you know, for example, I just opened up to loving and serving others. And it just goes through love one another in response to God's love for us, 1 John 4, 9. Love one another deeply, 1 Peter 1, I mean, you know how hard sometimes it is to find the right verse? This is the topical index. It's small, compact, and powerful. So pick it up. Support Abounding Grace Radio and all the media ministry of Abounding Grace um, by connecting with us, uh, as Larry's going to share in a moment, or pick it up online, but get it. Add it to your spiritual library. The reason why we pick resources is to help you build a trustworthy spiritual library. So go for it and get it. We'll send you the quick scripture reference for counseling when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. And thank you for your generous support. It's what allows us to pay for radio time on this station and others like it. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.church. Glad you've taken time out for our study in 1 Corinthians. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.